This year, I am focused on saving and investing, but I still want to do things like travel. NerdWallet lets you compare top travel credit cards side-by-side to maximize your spending, some even offering 10 times points on your spending, which means you could end up with a free flight or maybe a better hotel room. So what could future you do with smarter financial decisions? Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Eating processed food for every meal isn't healthy for people or for dogs. We all know that. And kibble is subject to multiple rounds of high heat processing, making an ultra processed food. The farmer's dog is real, fresh, healthy food with whole meat and veggies gently cooked in human-grade kitchens to preserve their nutritional value. My dog, Barnaby, loves the farmer's dogs. When he sees me pulling one of those packets out, he comes running. It's personalized, vet-developed, and it has recipes for as little as $2 a day. Meals arrive in pre-portion, ready-to-serve packs, and they're conveniently delivered on whatever schedule works for me. Get 50% off your first box of fresh, healthy food at thefarmersdog.com slash happier. That's 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash happier. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and free. And, you know, Elizabeth, I now work with a team and hiring the right people is so important. It's maybe the most important thing. And LinkedIn makes the process of identifying and hiring people easy and intuitive. I know that when I've been hiring for my team, it's hard to find quality candidates to interview. And LinkedIn isn't just a job board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash Gretchen. That's linkedin.com slash Gretchen to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. The weather's getting warmer, so it's time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I wanted to update my wardrobe without spending a fortune, and luckily I found Quince. Elizabeth, I got the Flow Knit Wide Leg Pant. It's very light. It's perfect for the summer. It packs very easily. I recently went on a trip with my family, and I took it with me, and they were just the thing to wear on a really hot day where I wanted to be covered up, but I wanted something that looked great and also was very comfortable. And the best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to Quince.com Gretchen for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash Gretchen to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com Gretchen. Hello and welcome to Happier, a podcast where we discuss ideas for making your life happier, healthier, more productive and more creative. 
Every 10th episode is a very special episode. And in this very special episode 140, we're going to talk about examples of people saying the right thing and the wrong thing in tough situations. I'm Gretchen Rubin, a writer who studies happiness, good habits, and human nature. I'm in New York City, and with me is my sister, Elizabeth Kraft. And Elizabeth, one of my favorite things about you is you always know the right thing to say. Oh, thanks. Same same for you. You always know the right thing to say. <laughs> Almost always. <laughs> That's me, Elizabeth Kraft, a TV writer and producer living in L.A. And Gretchen, one time I definitely knew the right thing to say, although it wasn't a tough situation, is when you asked if I wanted to join you at Oprah's Gospel Brunch book party. Elizabeth, we're here. We're waiting to park at Oprah's. I know. I can't believe it. The valet guy is coming our way. I know. This is it. Yes. We have to say, before we launch into this uh, huge topic of right thing, wrong thing to say, we just had a gigantic sisterly adventure. Yes. Yes. I flew to L.A., you know, met Elizabeth. We drove to Montecito, spent the night sharing a bed, just like old days in a hotel room. (laughs) And we went to this gospel brunch at Oprah's, and it was amazing. It really was more than we could have even imagined. It was incredible. And we should say you were in her new book, uh, The Wisdom of Sundays. Do you want to explain what it is? Yes. So Oprah has this very famous series of interviews called Super Soul Sunday. And so The Wisdom of Sundays is sort of highlights or parts that she's picked out from different interviews as kind of the most memorable. And it's sort of a good, if you like a kind of book where you could read like one page a day. Yeah. It's sort of like my moment of happiness newsletter where you get a daily quotation and it's just something to think about for that day. So this was to celebrate the publication of The Wisdom of Sundays. Yes, it was amazing and amazing um, performances too. Yes. Beautiful gospel and great stargazing. And it was so nice to be, Elizabeth, we were saying, it's nice to be with your sister because you don't have to like pretend that you don't feel starstruck or nervous or you and I were both sweating through our dresses and we right. we didn't have to maintain <laughs> yes. in front of each other. We were a good team. So anyway, that was an amazing thing. Yes. And for anyone, by the way, who wants to hear more about Oprah's Gospel Brunch, the Satellite Sisters this week did a um, a great segment on it. Liz Dolan, one of our favorite podcasters, was also at the brunch, and she goes through this week like the whole thing, start to finish, who was there, <laughs> who she saw. She saw way more people than we did. Uh, um, and it's really fun. Um, of course, we always love the Satellite Sisters, yes. but got to check in this week to get the full rundown on the brunch. Well, and Elizabeth, of course, I can't wait to hear you talk about it on Happier in Hollywood, too. It's a- <laughs> oh, yes. It's going to be the ultimate celebrity sighting segment. Yes, I will put a link to that in the show notes for episode 140. And Elizabeth, it's very appropriate that we're talking about Oprah right now, because one of the things Oprah is really known for is knowing the right thing to say, is sort of being Mm, able to respond to somebody in a moment and say a thoughtful thing, uh, a thing that really rings true. So it's sort of a good segue to this, you know, this very, very big subject that we're going to talk about for the whole episode, what to say. And first of all, we should say we heard from so many people covering so many different situations Everything from death to sickness, fertility, infertility. We heard from someone who was afraid she was going to lose her home in Sonoma County. She just was sort of lived mm. through the wildfires. And then more lighthearted things, you know, like uh, uncomfortable situations. Um, and so, first of all, it was so fascinating to read what everybody said. So thank you. Yes, and so useful in our own lives. Yes. So it's, we're really going to take this 
and go forth. Yes, yes. And what was really interesting, I think, is we saw very specific patterns. Like there clearly did emerge some things that were very highly recommended. And Elizabeth, I have to say, I think the biggest thing that I took away from all of this was over and over that people just said that it's surprisingly effective and meaningful just to say, I'm so sorry about this. And just to say, I'm so sorry to hear that you got such difficult news from the doctor. I'm so sorry you have to deal with this. That just this being kind of heartfelt present, you know, I'm heartbroken about what's going on. That goes a long way. Yeah. Um, Something as simple as that. Yeah. And Gretchen, we got a voicemail from Sarah who really articulated this sentiment. Hi, Gretchen and Liz. This is Sarah, and I'm calling from Arkansas. And I was so excited about your what to say, what not to say episode because I just had Achilles heel surgery in May, which is a pretty big deal. You end up being in a cast, then a boot, then or crutches and a boot for about 12 weeks. And I got so worn out by people either making jokes about how fun the process is or they would just say, boy, that sucks or glad it's you and not me Um, or of course they want to know about your injury which is all good like I'm assuming they mean it in good faith but then one day a man came up to me and just said I'm so sorry you hurt your leg and I just almost fell over with delight at the empathy that he provided with that single statement And it just really meant a lot to me because by the end of that process, which is really just right now, um, I was just sick of it. I was sick of talking to people about the injury that, you know, was so visible on me. So anyway, just sort of a statement of empathy and kind of identifying with someone was just so helpful. Another thing that really came through with all these is that There is no one right thing to say because people are different. Situations are different. People are in different places. And so you really just have to think about the person that you're talking to. And what several people pointed out is you can even ask how people would like to talk about it. Mm -hmm. Allison wrote, instead of assuming how you'd feel in the challenging situation, really none of us knows, ask the person kindly for their preference when you speak with them, either in person or by phone text. For example, after I shaved my head and close friends and family knew, the best response was to acknowledge it kindly. I know you're going through having lost your hair this week. Would you like to talk about it? Or would you rather we talk about something else? So then it's sort of Mm. opening the door for the person to guide that conversation. Yeah, Gretchen, because I think to me, one thing that I keep getting is that it's just acknowledging it is the key. It's just when you ignore something, it just becomes the elephant in the room and it it just gets awkward. And and even if it feels awkward to talk about it, it's more awkward not to talk about it. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, and another thing where it seems tricky to and maybe you have to really feel out the situation is whether people want to hear hopeful stories about other people's experiences facing a situation. It seems like some people do and some people don't. Several people mentioned that after a diagnosis, it is not helpful to talk about people who had a bad outcome. Yes. If you're going to tell a story, it should be a hopeful story, not a bad story. And don't mention something that you read on the Internet. And don't mention mm. something that happened to a fictional character in a movie. Oh, But, you know, this question of whether saying something that happened to you or somebody you actually knew as a hopeful story, is that helpful? 
just from personal experience. So Eliza was born early. She was very, very small when she was born. I was induced because um, it was they were like, it's better for her to be out than in. She's not getting the, nu- the nutrients she needs and her growth is being impeded. So she was born very early. And I have to say, a friend of mine once later said to me, I was really scared when I came to visit you. Mm. I'd never seen a baby that small before, like out of a hospital. So she was really, really small. She was. And I was walking down the street with her in a stroller, you know, this little teeny, teeny little flower bud in this, you know, expanse of a stroller. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And this woman, this older woman is on the corner with me and look, glances down and she said, oh, my baby was that size. Now he's 6'2". And she walked away. Mm. And for me at that moment, it was so reassuring. It was like, it's all going to be okay. It was just sort of, and she didn't even say, oh, it's all going to be okay. She was just saying like, this was my, this was my experience. But I could see how for somebody else that could have been really upsetting. Mm. But for me at that moment, it was like, I, I mean, here it is. It's, it's almost 19 years later and I still haven't forgotten that. Just this like quick exchange. So, you know, sometimes it's just hard to know. And Gretchen, several people mention that it's not comforting to say something that obviously can't be known. So like if you're trying to get pregnant, when you least expect it, it will happen. When you stop trying, it will happen because nobody knows that. Yeah. Or if someone has a serious illness saying you'll beat this because, you know, we don't know that you'll beat this. Or if you're going through a divorce, you'll find a new love right away. And I can say personally, I found this very annoying in the subject of fertility because Mm. I was trying to have a second baby and to have people say like, oh, just, you know, keep trying. It'll work like, oh, I know that your next round of, you know, whatever treatment you're doing will be the one. I feel it when I'm sitting there going, well, the statistics are not saying that and neither are any of my testing. (laughs) So don't sit here and tell me it will happen. It's not, you know, it it made me feel like more insane. Like, well, no, like it's clearly not going to happen. So why are you telling me it's going to happen? It just messed with my head. Well, it probably also made you feel like they weren't hearing you. Like they were just wanting to blindly be optimistic and not really allow you to experience the pain of like, this is happening right now. And this is what you're going through. Yes, it was like not acknowledging what I was going through. That's how I felt. And I know people meant well, but it just. And again, other people want to hear that, though. I mean, and that's the tricky thing. Other people want to hear it's going to happen for you. I know it is, you know, uh, so it's tough. Yeah, yeah. Well, now and then to take a little bit of a lighter note, to be very careful when you comment on someone's appearance. Many people raise situations where someone was very well intentioned, but they really struck a wrong note when commenting on how someone looks. Yeah, like Gretchen, my friend Corrine, who I've mentioned many times on the show, she always has, you know, smart things to say. Her rule is that she only comments on someone's appearance if it's a choice they made that day. So, yeah. So she'll say, oh, I love your earrings or your hair looks great or, oh, that's, you know, great lipstick or whatever it may be. But she won't say, oh, you've lost weight or anything that would refer to something that's ongoing. Yeah, that's a very good, easy rule. And it's interesting how many people said that saying like, wow, you've lost a lot of weight was something that often did not sit well. And that they said it's better to say something like, oh, you're looking so healthy or like, oh, you look great today. Again, that's a way of expressing it. Because it's funny, you would think like, oh, saying, oh, you've lost so much weight. But it made people, many people said it made them feel self-conscious 
or it kind of implied that they looked bad before or they just didn't like the fact that people were commenting on it. So I think Kareen's rule is really great and that it's if somebody picked those earrings, they're willing to talk about those earrings. And also the thing about commenting on someone's appearance is you don't know the significance of it to them. So back to the thing mm. about Eliza being born early. So one of the symptoms that I had of what was the issue was that I didn't have very much amniotic fluid. And so I was very small. Mm. I didn't mm. look really, really pregnant. And people would often say like, oh, you're so tiny, thinking that that was right. a good thing to say. But actually, that was like a reminder that we were in this like very difficult medical situation. And so... Yeah, you're better off just like stick to the earrings, stick to the new scarf. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, yeah, because it's, it's, you don't always know. Yeah, yeah. But when we heard from someone who talked about a different kind of intrusive question, um, which was very interesting from Claire. Yeah, she said, as an immigrant who has been staying in the U.S. for almost 30 years, earning a doctorate and advanced degrees from reputable universities in the U.S., holding a job and a career, paying our taxes and becoming an overall responsible citizen, The wrong things to say are, and this applies to any immigrants, no, where are you really from? Where is that beautiful accent from? What is your nationality? Where are you originally from? Where are your families from? She said, if you're really sincerely curious, befriend us, genuinely befriend us. We'll let you know our origins, our family stories, just like you would share your family story to your close friends over dinner. But if you are just curious, do know that such questions can be offensive. And we sniff such questions from miles away. Mm. Hey, guys, this is Kristen. So can I just weigh in on this one? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I feel I feel a special connection to this question because I get the same kinds of questions all the time. Mm. And that's because I'm Asian. And I think in the U.S., a lot of people approach an Asian person as not an American and will frequently come up and ask me and other Asian people I know, but where are you really from? Minnesota. No, but really, where are you from? <laughs> yeah. No, but where's your family from? And it's, it's a very common thing that um, my Asian friends have all complained about and I've complained about. And unlike Claire here, I feel that I get this question from a mile away before I even open my mouth where people uh. will yell things across the street. Hey, China girl, are oh, you from oh China? My God. And things like that. So I totally feel what Claire is saying here. Oh, wow. And but Kristen, is there a way people can ask you that you feel is appropriate? Or do you just think that shouldn't be a conversation topic? Well, I, you know, there are some people where I'm much more accepting of it. For example, if it's an Asian immigrant who um, is looking for somebody to bond with or wants mm. to bond with me over that, I think it's totally fine for them mm. to say, oh, my family came here from this place. Did your family come from that place too? Mm. I find that a lot less intrusive because that's trying to find common ground rather than let me guess as if I'm a game show. Like, oh, I have mm. the right answer. I know that you're this. Let me guess. No, I can tell just by looking at you, you're actually this. Oh my gosh. And it feels mm. like they're just trying to make themselves feel good about knowing something about me. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 I mean, I think when people feel like someone's asking questions because they're prying, because they just sort of want information because they're out of sheer curiosity, that just that's very off putting. It feels intrusive. It's not something that's coming up naturally as part of a relationship. It's just feeding curiosity. And so that's, you know, clearly very annoying. Thank you, Kristen. I love getting your input. 
Gretch, I love eating sandwiches like a grilled cheese or a peanut butter <laughs> sandwich is my ideal lunch, but I'm very aware of my carb intake, so oftentimes I avoid sandwiches. Luckily, Hero Bread has remade carby, empty-calorie bread products into fluffy, delicious versions that include no-net carbs, zero grams of sugar, and fewer calories. Plus, it has protein and fiber. I have been using it to make grilled cheeses, and I use their tortillas to make a cheese quesadilla, and I am in heaven. Hero Bread tastes great, has a terrific texture, and helps you meet your nutrition goals. Don't give up being a breadhead. Hero Bread is offering 10% off your order. Go to hero.co and use happier at checkout. That's happier at H-E-R-O dot C-O. So Gretchen, another um, thing we heard from a lot of people is that it can be very unhelpful to say things that suggest responsibility as if you're in charge of this situation or it's, you know, or you have control over it. Yeah. So for example, saying, you're such a positive person, you'll get over this. Or maybe this is happening because you've been so stressed. Okay, definitely not a good thing to say. Yeah. Or your ex has been a jerk from the first day you met, or you deserve this happiness. It's like, it makes people feel like, well, what if I weren't positive, I wouldn't be cancer. You know, it, it's just a weird thing. Yeah, yeah. And then flipping it to like the right things to say, one of the things that many, many people mentioned, and I think this is a really, really helpful thing to keep in mind, is that when someone is dealing with grief, one thing that mm. they tend to find very comforting is when the, when it involves sharing a memory of the person who's gone. Um, they want to know that others appreciated that person and will miss them and will cherish their memory. And so anything that you can do to bring up a memory that you have of the person who has gone or to raise the issue of, of the memories. And Sally, who very sadly lost a child, said, some people don't want to bring up the child because it might make the person sad. Guess what? The person is already sad. The person doesn't want the child to be forgotten even, and maybe especially after many years. To share a memory is a precious gift. Um, and somebody along the same lines, Amanda, um, whose father died when she was 12, wrote, a new friend I met in adulthood had the perfect response to hearing of my dad's death. We were out to dinner, and when the topic came up, she said, I'm so sorry. What was he like? Mm. It's lovely when someone, even out of courtesy, allows me to carry on my dad's memory by telling a story or two about him. And this is interesting to me because I can see how you'd be like, well, I don't want to bring up the subject because I, I don't want to bring you down. And so it's interesting that people are saying that, like, no, it's actually a joy for me to reflect on this person and to like uh, to think about those memories. Another thing to say, Gretchen, um, comes from Lauren. She said, my grandmother died this summer and there was one comment that I heard from someone at her viewing that has helped me tremendously in overcoming my grief. They said, how lucky I am to have had something that makes saying goodbye so hard. This helped me a lot because it helped me to turn my grief and despair into gratitude. So that's a that's an interesting way to reframe it. And it's a, a very beautiful sentiment. Yeah. Um, and Gretchen, on the subject of dealing with grieving and death, we wanted to talk to my very close friend, Karen Schwartz, who was married to my other very close friend, Mike Feldman. Um, we were all friends together in college. 
And Mike was diagnosed at a very young age with lung cancer, and he died um, less than a year later, I think it was. Um, so Karen um, obviously was in an incredibly difficult situation um, and you know, dealt with people saying, I- I'm sure, the right and the wrong things to her during that and then after he died. So, Karen, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, of course. Thanks for asking me. I'm honored. You know, when Gretchen and I started talking about the subject of the right thing to say in a tough situation and the wrong thing to say, I immediately thought of you because you went through such a difficult situation with Mike. Our beloved Mike, yes, yes. Our beloved Mike, who uh, Jack, my son, his middle name is Michael after Mike. So he was diagnosed with stage four lung cancer when he was 33. I think he was four, but yeah. 34. Yep. Okay. And you were then, you know, coping with something that was beyond anything, obviously, in your, you could have imagined. And I'm sure people said a lot of right things and wrong things. It's true. And... The funny thing, though, is that I don't remember any specific wrong thing that anybody said Mm, or mm. any specific right thing that anybody said. What I remember is the spirit behind what people said. Mm. So I think if we're trying to tell people, you know, how to handle this situation, which is obviously like a fraught thing and uncomfortable and kind of an awkward situation. I think an important thing to remember is to tell yourself, like maybe take a breath before you're in the situation and remind yourself of your purpose in the situation, which Mm, that's a great thought, Thank you. which I would think is to be kind or to be sympathetic or to be whatever, you know, you obviously have a good intention if you're approaching this person. So Remember that intention before whatever you say. Was there anything particularly comforting that anybody said to you or kind of? Yes. And I thought about this for you, Gretchen. The idea that there's a specific good or bad thing to say, I don't think there really is, as I sort of said from this. Mm. But there's only like a good or bad intention or an intention that's not properly conveyed. And... But I, what I would say is more, less when he was sick, but more after he died, one really good thing that was always good was to hear somebody's fond remembrance. Yeah, we were just um, talking about that, how hearing what somebody, the memory is so important. It is. And I think in this context, what comes across, and again, is the fondness, too, you know, that like... If you're coming at that and you have a remembrance of the person or a fun story about the person or something like that, and you're, you're conveying it with that sense of genuine warmth and fondness, right? I think that gets translated to the person hearing it, the, the feeling behind that gets translated. And even, and another maybe helpful thing for people to think about is just to think before they even say this, that like, think even just of the word fond. And then it will come through, I think. Mm. And to me, as somebody who, you know, was grieving, it was like your heart is just broken. And when you hear something so loving and warm, Mm -hmm. it makes you physically feel even better. You know, not just that you have the tangible story and the words of the story, but that you have that warmth, if that makes sense. And Karen, I'm wondering, because now it's been, you know, 10 years, uh, 
what like do you is it still helpful for you to hear those memories i I bet your kids like hearing those memories oh yeah 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 it always is it it always is helpful because you know the the sad thing about somebody dying is that they're gone you know and a fun story brings them back and keeps them around and keeps them you know close to the person's heart well, you know, it's making me think that even this idea of the right thing to say and the wrong thing to say is the wrong way to set up the show because it's uh-huh. like it's right. <laughs> tri- it trips people up. And I think part of the reason they say nothing is they're afraid of saying the wrong thing. And it's more like think about your intention, think and then just blurt out whatever you can and just try to have that that fondness and that good intention. And it sounds like you're saying that counts for a lot. That a, counts for everything, I think. Yeah. It's not a specific word. And in fact, like I remember very well that like a, like a week or two or something after Mike died or after we came back and Sarah was three at the time we went back to nursery school, one of the nursery school moms like invited the two of us out with her daughter for like a ladies lunch at the mall or something. It was like, you know, it was, it was cute. It was sweet. We got there and she was going through a divorce and she said like these from the heart said how, you know, in nursery school, she thought she was the only single mom and she didn't realize we were going through all this stuff and she felt really bad and this kind of stuff. And then she proceeded to say like every textbook, like textbook comically terrible thing that you could say, Mm. (laughs) like, like, Oh, you're so, I mean, at least you're not getting divorced. You're so lucky that you're not getting divorced. That's so much worse. Like that. Oh my God. (laughs) But my point in this is I'm telling you with a laugh, because even at the time, I was laughing that she was saying, like, just so sticking her foot in her mouth. And I was able to do that because she'd invited us to lunch and she was so sincere in her kindness of the yeah. past. <laughs> right. <laughs> and yeah. it, then the fact that she said literally, like, textbook terrible, check them off a list of awful things to say to me was really funny. You yeah. know? And not at all hurtful. Wow. But, yeah. But I think the spirit that you're speaking in, if it's kindness, everybody feels that, you know? And then if for some reason that gets lost in translation or you trip up on the wire or something like that, like, because you were being kind to begin with, and that's your intention, it's so easy for you to, you know, rectify it. Yes, that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Karen. This is super helpful. Yes. Thank you, Karen. Thank you, guys. Love you both. Love you. Bye-bye. Love you. So we were talking to Karen about um, sort of the general intent of what you're saying around to someone who's going through a very tough time. And many people pointed out one very specific kind of thing that you can do, which is to be specific when you're making an offer of help. Instead of just saying, like, well, what can I do or let me know if I can help, it's better if you can try to be specific. And people were saying things like, give me your grocery list or I will go for you or like literally calling and being like, I'm at the grocery store right now. What do you want me to pick up? I'm going to I'll buy it for you Mm. and drop it off or I'm going to Starbucks. What can I bring you? Or, you know, tell me if there's a night when you want me to watch the kids. Like the more specific that you could be with your offer, the more it helped people to say yes or even to think about how they could be helped. A lot of people said that. You're just so dazed that you can't even think Mm. of like, I can't even give you an assignment because I can't even like conceptualize what that would be. Right. And I think a lot of people interpret if you just say, let me know what I can do to help. They interpret that as I don't want to help. I'm just saying this to say it. You know, I think if you're not specific, people don't really take you seriously. Right. Right. Well, you know, and then it it is tricky because sometimes it feels like 
something feels like the right thing to say, and but maybe it turns out it's not so great. And this this was one I thought was interesting. Ina said, I lost my father three years ago, and he had been battling cancer for a year before passing. One thing that makes me very frustrated is when people say, I can't imagine what you're going through, or I could never go through what you're going through. I got to say, I could imagine myself saying something oh, like yeah. that. And she points out, Especially when people say they could never be as strong as me, that really makes me angry. I didn't choose the situation. This happened to me, and I just had to adjust and do what needs to be done. No one wants to cope with a death, but some of us have to earlier than others. I wish people instead could have the courage to ask questions. Ask if there's any little thing you can do. Ask how they're actually feeling. Ask if they need help with anything practical like food or company. Um, when I got out of the worst of my grief, I remembered those who constantly kept sending messages or just hearts to let me know they were thinking of me. Sometimes it's better to just be honest and say, my heart is effing breaking for you and I wish I could fix everything instead of some cliche like time heals everything. Mm. And, you know, the thing that she broke, brought up is something that a lot of people did is that when you say, I could never do what you're doing, it makes people feel isolated and set apart and also makes them question like, wow, can I really do this? Right. Am I going to be able to get through it? Yeah, right. And it's also it's like focusing on me. I could never do what you're doing instead of saying like, well, you're doing a great job or like, how can I support you? Yeah. I mean, the intentions matter a lot. Grudge. Probably the most important thing is someone's intention. Absolutely. I, I could not agree more. And I have to say, I have a friend. So Jamie, as you know, had a hepatitis C, which was which, which is extremely serious. It attacks your liver. And it was a very, very big concern. And then he was cured by the miracle of science. And it's amazing. And I will post a link to something that I wrote on the day that he got his all clear from the doctor. And he's totally cured, mm. which was amazing. But for a long time, it really was this thing that we were dealing with. He tried all kinds of experimental treatments. I mean, it, it was a big thing. But we didn't really think about it that much day to day, I have to say. Like, it wasn't like we felt like we lived with this thing hanging over our head. We sort of tuned into it and tuned out of it. But I have a really close friend, and every time she saw me, she would ask with such great concern, like, how is Jamie's mm. health? And it would always sort of take me aback because I'm like, wow, I don't really think about Jamie's health on a day-to-day level, you know, that much. <laughs> and so it was sort of like alarming because it would remind me like, wow, some people would be much more worried about this than I am. Maybe I should be more worried. But I knew that in her case, it was truly an expression of love. Like she really cared mm. about both of us. And to yeah. her, this was like a huge thing, you know, and so it didn't take it amiss. Uh, you were able to sort of take in what she was saying. Yeah. Because you knew the intention was great. Right. And she was asking this question to show her ongoing concern, not out of any kind of like voyeuristic or gossipy sense of wanting it. She was truly, truly concerned. If you've ever been in the market for a new home, you know home shopping can be a lot. There's so much you don't know and so much you need to know. What are the neighborhoods like? What are the schools like? Who is the agent who knows the listing or neighborhood best? And why can't all this information just be in one place? Well, now it is on homes.com. They've got everything you need to know about the listing itself, but even better. They've got comprehensive neighborhood guides and detailed reports about local schools. And their agent directory helps you see the agent's current listings and sales history. Homes.com collaboration tools make it easier than ever to share all this information with your family. It's a whole cul-de-sac of home shopping information all at your fingertips. Homes.com. We've done your homework. <laughs> 